Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. It is Joe Beamer in for Mark Reardon here on 97.1 FM Talk. And uh, we are in the final hour. This show is just flying by today. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, making us a part of your day. Uh, Always appreciate no matter how you listen, on your radio, on your smart speaker, on your app, on your computer, uh, however you listen, uh, we appreciate that. Now, you may have seen this story uh, going around. Dr. Carol Swain, uh, who is a former uh, professor at Vanderbilt, uh, talking about her um, work being uh, not, not fully plagiarized but not credited uh, when it comes to Harvard President Claudine Gay. Uh, I spoke with her earlier, and as you'll hear, she uh, was not the first to make this um, discovery. It was actually brought to her attention. Uh, I talked to her a little earlier today, and here is that interview, uh, Dr. Carol Swain on Harvard President uh, Claudine Gay here on 97.1 FM Talk. We are joined this segment by Dr. Carol Swain. She is a scholar and a political scientist, retired Vanderbilt University professor and author of the book, The Adversity of Diversity. Dr. Swain, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, uh, we've been we've been talking uh, about Harvard President Claudine Gay. Uh, You've uh, said she has plagiarized some of your work. Let's first start with when's the first time you uh uh, had uh, interaction or knew of President Claudine Gay? Well, I've known of her as a political scientist uh, since probably the late 1990s while she was a student. She was uh, like the talk of political science, and she was considered a superstar. So I had heard of her, but I did not follow her career. And when you say uh, I accused her of plagiarism, I was not the one that identified the passages from my prize-winning book that had been uh, used without attribution. So I didn't identify that. Uh, It was brought to my attention on Sunday. Someone from the Heritage Foundation was the first to alert me to it and told me to go look at Rufo's page. And then Dr. Art Laffer called me and a few other people, uh, a student, former student of mine who was in Hong Kong, he was the third person to contact me, and my phone started exploding uh, from the emails and telephone calls Sunday evening. And what was your reaction when it was first brought to your attention? Well, I did not want to rush to judgment because I didn't know uh, how, at the time. From my perspective, it was alleged. And... Um, and so I posted that imitation was the highest form of flattery and that if she did what she was accused of doing, then she, uh, that her committee, as well as reviewers and other people, were partially to blame, but that I had to do some investigation. 
And on Monday morning, I was able to get access to some of her work. And I read those articles, and I have gone through a range of emotions. So Sunday, I'm kind of in shock trying to absorb it all. What did it mean? Was it uh, just two passages? I didn't realize initially that there were many other people involved that had had parts of their work uh, lifted. But Monday, when I started reading uh, the research articles that she published as a young faculty member that helped earned her tenure, I felt like she did not give sufficient acknowledgement to my work. This is not this is not a plagiarization accusation. I'm saying that her early work clearly drew on the ideas and themes of my prize winning book, Black Faces, Black Interests, the representation of African Americans in Congress. And in the articles she had me listed in the bibliography, but there was nothing in the discussion that made it clear that she was building on my work or trying to refute my work or her her agenda that that I had played a role, not me, but the ideas that were con- considered seminal that that had influenced her work. And I was upset then because in academia, citations can't. And so someone uh, is using your work and it's a seminal work, if they are not citing you or giving you full credit, then uh, that harms you and people who read their work don't know where their ideas came from. And so that concerned me more. Yeah, let me, let me tell you, I'd be, I would be upset too. I, I am not an overly smart person, so I don't think anyone would ever steal my work. But I, I can imagine, you know, seeing, uh, seeing the work uh, that you've put in and not cited. So when you say it's in the bibliography, now it should also be where the citation is in the paper, correct? Well, I don't know that there, there, the, um, the work in her dissertation it's my understanding that it didn't cite me but i went to her papers that were published and i read uh, some of those papers that dealt with areas that i uh that my work had implications for my prize winning work and what i noticed was that she would list sources and and my book was listed in her bibliography but my problem was that if you read her work, she didn't engage the ideas. No one would have known that she was building on work that came out of my prize-winning book. And so instead of one citation in the bibliography, there probably should have been uh, more citations or at least a paragraph or some acknowledgement of uh, of me as being a more senior person whose research agenda she was either building on to refute or to affirm. Uh, in this particular case, it would be to refute. So that bothered me because I felt like it ha- it would have long-term career implications for me. I'm at the end of my uh, you know career. I've left academia, but over the years, the rewards you get in academia depends on how many citations you get. And if people who come behind you don't cite your work, then uh, it's harmful in an indirect way. But I found no places where she had copied uh, passages of my work in her published work. But we do know that there were other people she plagiarized from in those published works. 
And Harvard has taken a look at it and said that this did not, did not rise to the level of removal. What's your reaction to Harvard's decision? I, I, I'm shocked because she clearly plagiarized, but I would even go further to make the case that her work strikes me as being derivative in many ways of my work and that it was not path-breaking. It was not work, I don't believe, that would normally get a person tenured in the Ivy League. And this would be independently of the plagiarism. I, I don't see that her work was work that would get you tenured in the Ivy League. So that is one thing that I noticed. And, and then Harvard, they're just trying to protect themselves because her professors, her advisors, all of those smart people they used as academic reviewers, they've been signing off on her work for years. So for them to remove her and to say it was plagiarism, it would be an indictment of them as much as an indictment of her. Now, I heard you yesterday say that you, you, uh, you, you wish she would step down, you wish she would resign. I do believe that she should step down. I think that it's the right thing to do, that for the sake of the university, for the sake of future students, and I'm sure she'll have a soft landing because the left always takes care of its own, but the right thing to do would be to resign. Do you and think she will? For that, but also for the anti-Semitism. I was going to ask, do, do you think she will resign, and, and do you think that the pressure will continue to mount from uh, her testimony last week? I don't know that she uh, will resign. I know that it's the right thing to do, and I believe that people will continue uh, to – that the pressure will increase for a while, but given the news cycle – you know, maybe people walk away. Maybe she gets away with it. But if she gets away with it, Harvard University would have decided to trade its brand for a DEI appointment that should never have been placed in that position in the first place. Maybe they deserve what they get. And as far as I'm concerned, the Ivy League is the last place I'd go looking for a leader of anything. Now, I got it before we let you go. I, I was reading some of uh, one of your other interviews, and you talked about in the 90s. You, you used the, the phrase, I started falling out of favor in 95 uh, when I started criticizing race-based race I'm sorry, affirmative action. Uh, so talk us through that, because we hear this a lot from former Democrats. Um, talk us through, you know, in, in the 90s when, uh, when the left started criticizing you. Well, I mean, I got labeled as a conservative after I published Black Faces, Black Interests, but I was a Democrat, and I was just doing good political science, and I did not identify as a conservative, and I certainly wasn't a Republican. But around 1995 or, or maybe before, around that time, affirmative action was all in the news, and the two university uh, – Former university presidents, William Boyne and Derek Bach, wrote a book, The Shape of the River. And uh, it they made the case for race-based affirmative action in higher education as being the only way that you would have black leaders. And I myself at that time was speaking out more about race-neutral, class-based affirmative action. And my position was based on some of what I actually saw taking place 
uh, in elite institutions around affirmative action, but I felt that uh, Americans were not so divided about what should be done in given situations and that most Americans don't mind uh, offering a hand up to someone that's hardworking, you know, that comes from a disadvantaged background, who's talented, that we want people to succeed, but that they had problems with the racial discrimination aspects of it. And I thought that could be addressed by having race-neutral means-tested opportunities. And that was not a very popular position. And so first it was me uh, being conservative on affirmative action. And then late 1990s, I had a Christian conversion experience. And I gradually became more and more conservative. And what I saw happening is that the more conservative uh, I became, I became more marginalized in academia. In fact, people started saying sometimes to my face that I used to be a great political scientist. I used to be this. I used to be that. Uh, My being conservative and certainly my being Christian was not considered compatible with being a great political scientist. Well, Dr. Carol Swain, I'm so glad that you made some time for us today. It was really great talking with you, and I hope to talk to you again in the future. Thank you. Again, that was Dr. Carol Swain. She is a scholar and a political scientist and a retired Vanderbilt University professor. It was uh, great catching up with her. Hey, join KEZK 97.1 FM Talk and... KMOX for an evening of purpose at the first ever Give Back Trivia Night on January 5th at the Moolah Shrine Center. Secure your tickets of 10 for just $200. That's only $20 a person. Tables of 10 include complimentary wine and beer. A significant portion of the proceeds will go towards making a positive impact at SSM Health Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. This holiday season, become a beacon of hope for children by supporting the hospital's Tree of Hope campaign, which facilitates crucial programs essential to a child's recovery. Don't wait. Reserve your table now at 971talk.com slash events. When we come back, we're talking to NASCAR legend Kenny Wallace here on 97.1 FM Talk. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is Joe Beamer in for Mark Reardon here on 97.1 FM Talk. It is uh, great to be with you on this Wednesday, and it is great to be joined by NASCAR legend Kenny Wallace. Hey, Kenny, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Well, thanks for joining us, Kenny. How's uh, What you been up to lately? Well, we're in the race shop right now. We was getting ready to end the day and go into the house and take it easy, but I'm up in my uh, my race shop where I keep my race car, and we were playing around, putting something together, and... Uh, just really excited uh you know the biggest dirt race in the world right now we're lucky to have it downtown st louis where the rams used to play at the dome so we're gonna have 310 race cars around 30,000 people or more and uh we're gonna be racing tomorrow which is thursday 
Friday and Saturday, and uh, we got a we got a, an oval dirt track in there, and it's been going on for about eight years. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna run that race. Uh, my qualifying night's tomorrow night. Everybody can come on out tomorrow Thursday. Then we do it again on Friday, and then again on Saturday. Kenny, it's Sue. Okay, first of all, I Sue! love it. What's up, my, my Kenny? What up, Sue? <laughs> Tell me, I like now, I've seen you run on dirt uh, down south off of 55, but not in the dome. Tell me the difference. Is it just shorter tracks so more dirt goes flying? Man, I can always count on you, Sue, to ask the great question. Yeah, so this is a very unique situation. This is the smallest dirt track pretty much very close to it. We've got one over in Belleville, Illinois. It's been shut down for a while because of the coronavirus. They're working on bringing it back. But this is a throwback to, you know, the 1940s throughout, uh, you know, the whole United States when they would build these fairgrounds, you know, and they would build these little bitty dirt tracks. And um, so it's very rare, Sue, uh, because it's such a small racetrack, and the action is just out of this world. So – They'll put about eight to ten cars out there, Jeez. and we'll go at it, and then they'll, they'll, we'll whittle them all down, and then on Saturday is what we call our A-Main, but every night is about the same, but Saturday is the big night, and it's very theatrical, meaning that there's a lot of wrecking, people can get in fights, crowd goes nuts, and yeah, it, it's a good time. Okay, dirt's going to get in my hair if I go, just like if I'm on a regular dirt track. This is what I'm expecting. Absolutely not. No, because, you know, I think a lot of people, be, you know, in, unless they go to, you know, say uh, a concert down at the Dome, we all forget how big the Dome is. That's I mean, true. That's true. It, it seats like 77,000 people. It, that place is – listen, I told uh, – I took – St. Louis Blues hockey player Colton Pareko is a friend of mine. About five years ago, I brought him down there as my guest. And he, now here's a hockey player, NHL, the best. He walks in there, he looks at me, goes, "Wow!" He goes, "I forgot how big these domes were." You know, uh, you you could pretty much put Enterprise Center in the dome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're not going to get dirt on you. You might get dusty. That's about it. Maybe might get a little dusty, but no. No dirt flying in you because the the track is on the football field and you're so far away from the racetrack. What do you have to watch out for when you have such a small track, Kenny, and you've got dirt? I mean, what's the key to driving in that condition? Yeah, you got to look out for the other cars. (laughs) 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 Yeah, hey, it's like like being on Interstate 70 or 40 or 40. It's like being around here, man. I'm in good shape. It's the other drivers that worry me. I know what I'm doing, you know. So, uh, listen, it, it, it's like this. Uh, there was a, a saying years ago. You know, obviously, I raced in NASCAR my whole life. I'm I'm retired now, and I'm having a good time. But there was an old saying we used at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, you know, Bristol is one of our most exciting NASCAR tracks. I will compare this to that with this quote. We, it, it's like flying a fighter jet in a gymnasium you know what i mean yep it's like put put a jet in a kid's gymnasium and go in circles it's uh like i say it's very unique the reason it has become so big this is not like what we do 
But the reason it is so big is because it's December. Uh, there's nothing going on. There's no racing anywhere in America. And we don't have to worry about weather. And, and that is very unique in itself. And so people come here because they know it's not going to get rained out, not going to get snowed out. And uh, it, there's just nothing going on. Kenny, didn't you run this last year? Because I remember there was a big buzz about it. You did great. The hometown crowd went nuts. I'm not making that up, am I? Yeah, no, yeah, it's true. What, what had happened was, uh, you know, they have 60 cars in my division. There's two divisions. There's the super late models, which are very exciting. And then I run the modifieds, which is the lower series, but still very high end. Uh, it, it would be like, uh, you know, just, you know, the, the NFL and, you know, then the college. Let's say I'm in the college ranks, but still really good. And uh, so what had happened, there's 60 cars, and there's only 18 starting spots. So only 18 cars can be in the big – well, they had this – I had got roughed up in a couple of the qualifying races. So they had this last race. It was called win and you're in. And I made a last lap pass to grab the 18th starting position. And, and I was just focused. You know, I'm a racer. I'm just focused. Well, through my helmet, through my earplug, I could hear the dome just erupt. I love because, it, Yeah, it was exciting, Sue. I, it was awesome. It's, it's out there. I put it on Twitter. It's so badass. It's unreal. But uh, And then and then you realize it's kind of a, a little bit of a, a show, you know, because the, the unique situation. So I thought, well, you know, the, the TV's interviewing me. It's on Flow, which is a very big app uh, in racing. It's F-L-O. So I got out, and I did Ric Flair, man. I was calling the crowd out. Was my, <laughs> my championship belt. Yeah, it was exciting. I love that. So, uh, Kenny, when does this take place? It, you know, it starts tomorrow, but it goes right through the weekend? Yeah, so it, it we, we all park today, which is a uh, a show in itself, putting 310 tractor trailers. You know, that convention center is big. You know, I got I got to just say this real quick. I don't want to be long-winded. Uh, the dome and the surrounding areas in St. Louis remind us what a great city we have. Now, I know we've been roughed up with it being dangerous, but, you know, you know, Anheuser-Busch, Monsanto, McDonnell Douglas, Ralston, Perina, Enterprise. This is a very old-school, rich town. Yes. So the, the, the Dome's got it going on, and everything starts tomorrow, which is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and everything starts at 3 o'clock in the day, usually goes to around 8 at night. Okay. All right. And if, and, you you, ma- and, and, and if you cannot make it down there, go on the Flow app. It's called Flow, F-L-O, Flow Sports. There's millions of followers on there because Flow is very famous for, uh, you know, high school sports, college sports. It's a big-time app. It, listen, it's another great app. So if you can't make it down there, uh, go on the Flow app and buy it and, and watch it. it it's exciting. Now, Kenny, I got to ask you when when will the crashes start? Right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. It, and here's why: because there's so many race cars for so 
small starting spot. So in the late models, those cars are about $130,000. My car is about $75,000. So in the late models, there's 150 cars from all over America, everywhere, California, Florida, New York, but they only start 18. So imagine that. 150 people are entered, and there's only 18 starting spots. And you know the saying, you know, it's desperate people do desperate things. So (laughs) they start wrecking right away. (laughs) Well, I I cannot wait for this. It sounds like a ton of fun. Now, Kenny, while I got you on the line, I do have a question for you. We're talking about indoor uh, dirt track. But I want to talk about one of the smaller tracks in NASCAR that tried the dirt track thing, and now Bristol saying that they're getting rid of it. What's your your thoughts on Bristol saying no more dirt track racing? Yeah, well, here's the deal with that. So NASCAR – which is was, is my life, but I'm retired now. You know, and I worked for Fox Sports for 15 years. NASCAR got themselves in a funk, uh, sort of like Major League Baseball did. You know, when they said, "Okay, we're going to go to bigger bases, we're going to put a time limit," you know, so the players quit adjusting everything. So NASCAR went through this funk with the hyperactive children. Now, you know, if you go through a McDonald's right now and you wait two minutes for your food, you're just you're devastated, right? So NASCAR went through that, Joe. And what they had to do was they had to try some new things. So they put dirt on one of our most famous high bank short tracks, which was Bristol. And the first year, it was unbelievable. It was different, and everybody loved it. Well, after the third year, everybody started complaining about it. But it worked. It got you know everybody's eyes on the sport. And now we're just going to go back to the normal concrete surface. So it was just something they tried. Yeah, yeah. well, I went to a football game at Bristol once, so they, they've tried everything there. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, listen, you bring up a good point. So it was Virginia versus Tennessee. Google it. Virginia largest, Tech. La- largest college football game in history. They, right. they put like a – 150,000-something people in there at the Bristol Motor Speedway. They put the football field, you know, in the infield where the race cars park. Uh, To this day, you know, the big house got nothing on it up there in Michigan. So uh, I don't know if you've Googled it yet or not, but, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I was there, and uh, my Hokies would have won if that game was played two weeks later. But we won't get into specifics. <laughs> I hear you. Well, look, Joe, I learned something. And it's this, be careful, young man, competition will kill you. And and Father John, the man that married uh, my wife and myself, out here in Arnold, 1984, we were doing pre-Cana class, you know, they're trying to see if you're compatible. Sure. And he said, he said Kenny, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be a race car driver. And he said, oh, be careful, competition will kill you. So, uh Losing and winning, boy. It, it, you know, you see what happened with Baruby. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kenny, great catching up with you. Kenny Wallace, I am excited for this event starting tomorrow. At, it, it, Kenny said it so I can say it now because I was going to say it, uh, but then I thought that would be bad spirit, but Kenny said it. So it's where the Rams used to play, uh, yeah. at the Dome at America Center, tomorrow through the weekend, Gateway Dirt National. Kenny Wallace, the legend. Great talking with you, Kenny. Hey, thank you guys so much for allowing me and to get the word out. It's a great event. After this, but first, I do want to ha- uh, tell you 
that uh, to join KEZK 97.1 FM Talk and KMOX for an evening of purpose at the first ever Give Back Trivia Night on January 5th at the Moolah Shrine Center. Secure your tables of 10 for just $200. That's only $20 a person. Tables of 10 include complimentary wine and beer. A significant portion of the proceeds will go towards a positive impact at SSM Health Cardinal Glennon's Children Hospital. This holiday season, become a beacon of hope for children by supporting the hospital's Tree of Hope campaign, which facilitates crucial programs essential to a child's recovery. Back to Beamer in for Mark Reardon. Let me tell you, there is there is nothing worse than when you are reading something and you're finished reading, and then you look up and realize, oh, no one listened to what you just read. <laughs> <laughs> but we're back. We are back here, and it is uh, the uh, SSM Health Cardinal Glennon Tree of Hope campaign, and we are, are joined. Uh, well, we have Mark Reardon's joined by Ann Gildahouse, a pediatric nurse practitioner at SSM Health Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. And uh, here is that interview. I'm well. I'm well. How are you today? 26 years. 26 years anywhere, especially this day and age. It was 25. Oh, okay. It was 1998. Oh, I well, if it's only 25, <laughs> I don't think we need to highlight it at all. So. Right. I mean, that's no big deal. 26, <laughs> total different story. I think someone was rounding up there for you. So, you know, I've, I've gotten to know a lot about the hospital in the past few years doing um, and participating in the effort to, you know, raise money for the Tree of Hope campaign. And it was very helpful for me to, you know, see firsthand, to get over there, saw the, the music program and some other things over the last couple of years. But from your perspective, why is this such an important time of year? And explain some of the things that they do at the hospital that goes just beyond the medicine aspect. Just this time of year or year round? Year round, I would say year round, right? It's year round here at Cardinal Glennon. It's never just, you know, at the holidays or anything like that. I think, you know, most any day I'm here, I can see somebody from the staff that's, you know, going the extra mile or doing that extra thing, whether it's a nurse finding a toy or somebody, you know, paying it forward in the cafeteria, covering, you know, somebody's lunch because at that moment they can't find their debit card or they, you know, don't have just the right amount of change that they need. You know, there's, there's always something you can do. Um, around here or something you'll see around here. But it's all, it's really all about, it's like going the, the extra because the medicine, the, you, you take care of that aspect, the doctors, the insurance companies, all of that. But this is really, and I've said this before too, man, maybe a little bit more for mom and dad and the family than it is for the patients. The patients are pretty resilient, we hope, but sometimes all of this really goes to just the whole family unit, right? Oh, and yes, absolutely. I, I definitely think that, that we, you know, take care of not just the patient, but, you know, we're, we're, we take care of the whole family. It's, you know, figuring out what the family needs. Um, here in the ICU, um, you know, we don't take care of the babies that are well enough to go home. We right. take care of the kids that are so sick. You know, they have to be here, whether it be on breathing machines or medicines to help their blood pressure and their kidneys work and their lungs function, all of those things. And that can be really hard for families, you know, how can mom and dad be at the hospital, but also be at home taking care of the brothers and sisters that are scared to death because they don't understand what's going on or why their big brother or little brother isn't here. So it's hugely important for programs like Child Life that works with families, works with siblings, you know, to help them understand. And, you know, 
we do, unfortunately, you know, see the really sad side of what happens when kids are sick. And if we didn't have the support of child life to yeah. kind of help, help make, help give these families some memories to keep with them forever, I can't imagine what this experience would be for these families. Yeah, it's got to be, I can't even imagine, and I'm very lucky. I've had, um, I have three children, two adult children, one who's eight years old, and they've all been healthy. But I, I reflected in the past couple of years during the Tree of Hope campaign, two summers ago, this would be two and a half years ago, I had a friend of mine that I um, was very, well, I'm still very close with him. We were roommates for a while in the Mizzou days, and he has a daughter that was, this was the summer, I'm guessing it was 20, summer of 21, cheerleading camp, about as much energy as you would ever imagine. And then just a month after they visited with me and my family here, she was um, diagnosed with uh, childhood leukemia. They thought it was COVID. She had lack of energy. And then, you know, this was in Cleveland. They had to swing into gear and really help her. And thank God she's fine now. She's cancer-free. She's really doing great. But it was daunting. And, and that's that's what I thought of, not only from a family going through that, and but how quickly it can just whack you. All of a sudden, you don't see it coming, right? Not at all. One day your child is perfect, and the next day they stumble and fall, and you're like, what's going on? You know, you might yeah. go seek care because, like you said, they're a little tired, and you find out all their blood counts are low, and you're about to go on a two- to three-year journey that yeah. you never expected. And that's what they did, but luckily that journey in, in that instance turned out very positive, and that's what the Tree of Hope campaign is making sure families can get through this. Treeofhope.org and Gilda House, you're going to make it to that 20 20- seventh year of anniversary right and we will have a big you know, celebration I hope to make it to 40 so <laughs> thanks Anne. i appreciate it have a wonderful right. day sir. take care Merry don't forget 97.1 fm talk along with our five other odyssey st louis stations is once again proud to partner with generous community supporters to raise funds through the ssm health cardinal glennon tree of hope campaign all this week listen to the mark reardon show to hear special interviews with local doctors nurses patients and their families who have a story to share about all the great work being done at ssm health cardinal glennon children's hospital and at 552 it is time for our audio cut of the day now the audio cut of the day and a pretty easy one here. It was a story that broke right during our show. It is the House making it official. On this vote, the yeas are 221 and the nays are 212. The resolution is adopted. Yes, the resolution is the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. It passed Congress, and uh, now you will see that investigation. I, I, I can tell you the, the headlines for 2024 are already being written uh, a few weeks out, a few weeks left in 2023. And um, we will see how that plays out, uh, the impeachment inquiry of J- President Joe Biden. And again, you, f- you heard of that here on Monday when we talked to Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. She said it was going to happen either today or tomorrow. Well, it happened today. We also had Hunter Biden not show up for his um, hearing in, uh, in Congress that he was subpoenaed for. So a lot of stories to follow into tomorrow. And uh, guys, it's been a fun show. Always, uh, always a fun time. I'm not even going to give the this is my last show of 2023 because who knows? Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll be back in the, the next couple of weeks before 2024 uh, is around the corner. But uh, always a fun time, and I'll tell you that uh, that dirt track racing at the uh, at the dome sounds like one heck of a time. And to watch Kenny here, just because he's you know the, he's Kenny for crying out loud, and he's the hometown favorite. It's nuts, Joe. You would love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I bet I would. Well, I'm going to be able to watch it on the uh, Flow Racing app. True. And watch yeah. all three days of action. I- I'll tell you, Kenny Wallace needs to be the spokesman for St. Louis. Seriously. I mean, Seriously. He makes, he makes me want to jump on a plane right after this show and get to St. Louis as fast as possible. Listen, if you don't follow him on Twitter or X or whatever it is now, you need to, and because uh, it, it's hysterical. And he may have his own YouTube channel. I'm not sure if he still does that. But follow him on X, and you will not regret it. I will give him the follow on X. And uh, you know what? The, 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 a good thing, and this probably sounds very ego to say, but the good thing when I, when I follow people or when we have people on the show, a lot of them will follow me back. I think I've, I've improved my follow numbers just by filling in for Mark. Of course so you I, have. Yes. I, I have Mark Reardon to thank for uh, my uh, my increasing. I think I, my my followers have increased more this year than any other year. So uh, make sure that thank you gets to Mark when he gets back tomorrow. On it, and uh, don't forget, Mark Reardon is back tomorrow. He's got. Uh, I mean, we had a great show today. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think today was was an all star show. But he's got a packed show tomorrow for his return. He's got two members of Congress: Missouri Congressman Jason Smith and Congresswoman Ann Wagner. Also, Bill O'Reilly. And then on Friday, he's got the roundtable, as well as broadcaster Bob Costas. So, so much to look forward to on the Mark Reardon Show. It has been an absolute pleasure, as always, uh, to be with you. And my thanks to Sue and Abby and Fred for putting the show together at such short notice. I was at the SPCA in Buffalo at... Around 9 o'clock my time when I got the uh, email to uh, fill in for Mark today. And great work putting this show together. I mean, this is a great show if you put it together uh, in a couple of weeks. Fred put it together in a couple of hours. And uh, thanks to him. Thanks to Sue. Thanks to Abby. We will talk with you soon. Mark Reardon's back tomorrow. Uh, St. Louis, have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Talk with you soon. Thanks, Joe. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 